Hello, and welcome to Survivor Stories. My name is Jacob Little, and I've created this podcast for survivors. When I say survivors, I mean survivors of child abuse, survivors of addiction, survivors of the prison system, survivors of domestic violence, survivors of institutional child abuse. I'd like to give a trigger warning. This podcast will be real and raw as fuck. We will be interviewing survivors and also services that are helping survivors on their journey. Having lived experience of institutional child abuse and the prison system, I encourage all survivors to speak up. Hey guys, how's everyone going today? Um, we've got a new guest on the show. It's been a while since we've um, been putting any episodes out, but I thought it's time to get back into it. So I've got a friend of mine, Damo. Um, he's been to prison. Uh, he's got out and changed his life around. His um, day job now is a archivist, and and he is also a, an author and an artist. So um, yeah, I just wanted to introduce Damo. How you going, mate? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Yeah, no worries, mate. Um, yeah, it's really good to have you on board. And you know, we have done a few previous podcasts before, and I've actually um, I've done an, an episode with Damo. So, um, what what was your podcast called again, mate? Yeah, so it's called uh, Broken Chains. Um, it was supposed to come out um, beginning of this month, so August, but uh, yeah, we had some delays to COVID um, due to COVID, but um, we're hoping it'll be out in the next couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, so it's um, Broken Chains and it's produced by the city of Newcastle. Yeah, perfect. So keep your eyes out for that, guys. Um, they'll be out pretty soon. We'll be putting some links into his website and things like that at the end anyway. So um, yeah, mate, so, so, so I thought we'd just get straight into it. Um, how did you grow up, mate? Where did you grow up? What was your... What was it like when you're growing up? Yeah, so I, I had a um a pretty interesting childhood. Um, my parents actually met in the prison system, which um, as you probably don't need to explain, isn't a great you know the world's greatest place to start a relationship. My my father was in um for burglary at the time, and my mother happened to be the prison welfare officer, and um uh that was a temporary contract she was on and um they started a relationship after he was released and she'd stopped working there and um yeah my father was a was a pretty troubled man he uh, he'd spent a lot of time in juvenile detention and uh before upgrading to the adult prison system and he had, he had a lot of anger issues and um when I was about three, um, my mother took me from, and uh, we kind of ran away. We left um, his violence, but then um, he found us about a year and a half or so later via a private investigator. And as a result of that, he got um, a temporary two-week custody of me. And during that two-week custody uh, battle, he fabricated allegations that my mother was abusing me which she wasn't um as a manipulative ploy to gain custody of me and he knew how to game the system and because of that um the court case for custody of me just kept getting delayed and there were all kinds of red tape and things and as a result of that i actually lived with him for nine years off a false allegation i think the thing was that eight coming up to nine years um that's how long the court case dragged out for so I, um, 
I grew up in Sydney. Yeah, my, my mother took me and we left, to, uh, went to Armadale and um, just about six hours, six or seven hours drive north of Sydney. And then when my father found me, I went back to Sydney. And um, yeah, I lived with him in a very dysfunctional household um, until I was 13, at which point I, um, I uh, yeah, I was sick of his violence. And the short story is I, I ran away from home from then. But uh, yeah, feel free to, um, yeah, it's, it's so pretty it's a lot lot of mess there's a lot of like you can break that down a lot further but uh yeah so let me know if you have any other questions about it but, mm. yeah okay mate um when, when you when you grew up did um and when you ran away what, what sort of happened where did you end up so yeah i um I, when i was about 13 i was yeah sick of the violence at my father's house and i um i went back to live with my mother who was um living in uh, Newcastle at the time, which is actually where I'm living now. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of, I found her and I, um, I went back to live with her instead, um, which was better than living with my father. But um, by that stage, my mother was pretty severely traumatized from having, um, you know, been uh, lost custody over me over completely false allegations. And so uh, living with her wasn't particularly easy either, but, um, yeah, so I, I, but I ended up living with her until I finished high school and um, yeah, I moved out of home when I was 18 and I haven't really been back <laughs> since yeah. then, I've just been off in my own world. But yeah, that, um, so yeah, I, I, people asked me where I grew up and it was kind of like mixed between Sydney, Armadale and Newcastle uh, and, you know, not really by choice because, but, you know, it was a bit of a, yeah, moving around like between custody and, you know, confiscated by, you know, docs and stuff. So yeah, it was a, Definitely an interesting childhood. I've I've written a memoir uh, uh, recently, which goes into a lot of detail about it. But uh, yeah, I could I could talk about that for a while. Did you say that you went into docs care? Um, I was no, they were just really um, like heavily involved with um, uh, like what happened and how I um, yeah, how I was taken from my mother's care and stuff. So uh, yeah, they were just uh, heavily involved in the case and um really didn't do a good job of it when I, at the final custody hearing, the, the judge who presided over our family court case, court case actually um, uh, said that he was, he couldn't have been more critical of docs, how, how badly they'd screwed up um, my case. And he actually said, uh, I've got his uh, judgment. It's like a, uh, it's a 50 page, like a judgment, um, his final decision. And he said he was so unimpressed with how docs had failed in my case that he was going to uh, contact the relevant government minister and uh, try and make sure uh, nothing that bad ever happened again. And I've been told um, that was uh, one of a couple of cases that uh, directly led to something called JERT, uh, Joint Investigations Response Team, which... Um, uh, was in, implemented in the early, uh, oh, no more early 90s, mid 90s, maybe. Um, no, I think early 90s. Uh, basically, it was a way for like docs and all the people investigating a case to share information, which they didn't do with my case, which was why it was so complicated, because all these people like um, involved weren't sharing information. And so I've been I've been told uh, my case actually had a lot to do with uh, how um, you know docs reformed some of their terrible policies into probably slightly less terrible policies that they have today <laughs> yeah yeah you know, as people know who might be listening to this anyone who's been through docs facts um any of them sort of places they do they don't do the best job um no 
we help a lot of survivors out who have been through um, them institutions and suffered abuse. So um, do, do you feel like they led to uh, any abuse in your case? Um, well, yes. Be yeah. Cause um, yeah, that my, um, so I said, my, my father fabricated like allegations that my mother was abusing me. And the irony of that was um, Doc's knee jerk reaction at the time. And I think this might actually still be the case is um, they are, uh, an allegation was made. So they took me out of her care um, until the allegations could be substantiated or not. Now my father knew very well, it was going to take a very, very long time. He could drag it out for years. And so that was how he got custody. He, he gamed the system. But um, ironically, as a result of him um, making up that I'd been abused, I then went into a household where there was child abuse. My father wasn't sadistic, but he was, um, he was very angry and traumatized. And so there was a lot of violence in his household. There was a lot of domestic violence between him and his uh, partner. She had a um, both a drinking and a gambling problem and they were constantly fighting over that. And um, then ironic, so my father said that my mother was sexually abusing me, which she wasn't. And, but then when I was eight, one of um, my stepmother's family friends actually did abuse me, but because the household there was so functional, when I told um, my stepmother and father about that, they didn't believe me. So, um, yeah, as a result of my, and I, I, the, the irony of this really gets me like as a result of my father making up that I was sexually assaulted, I, as a, indirectly from that, I actually was several years later, if I, yeah, if that hadn't happened, if he hadn't made that allegation up, I probably never would have been because I, yeah, they, um, they were pretty undesirable people with like, you know, alcohol issues and they hung out with similar people. And so there was, um, yeah, I was definitely exposed to people I shouldn't have been as a child. Yeah. Sorry to hear that, mate. It must have been um, very difficult at su such a young age. I had it. Um, yeah. Feel. Well, the 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 thing is, um, I was I carried so much trauma for that for so many years, and I um, like, oh well, I mean, to to an limited extent, I still do. I but um. For, for like the next 20 years, I was actually really badly traumatized from that. And I didn't actually understand why I was so angry about it. And um, uh, because, you know, I have, you know, I've had a lot of friends who've gone through like sexual abuse and um, uh, at the risk of, you know, um, like discounting what happened to me in terms of sexual assault, like um, what happened to me was relatively mild, relatively, yeah, relatively speaking, of course, you know, obviously it's all terrible, but um, what happened to me was, you know, uh, in, in the grand schemes of things, it wasn't like the, the worst abuse imaginable. And, um, and I, I had met all these friends and they had like um, really terrible, prolonged and horrendous abuse happen to them. And for a long time, I couldn't figure out why I was so angry, why I was so much angrier than they were. And it wasn't until I started getting therapy um, 20 years later when a psychologist explained to me, she's like, well, Damien, I think the reason you're so angry about your abuse isn't because it's less because you were abused and more because um, you weren't believed. And it took yeah 20 years for me to realize that that's where like 90% of my anger was coming from. Yeah. You know, it wasn't the fact that I was abused. It was the fact that there were the people who were supposed to be, you know, protecting me and, and caring for me. Um, just completely, not only did they dismiss it, they were like, um, I was like actually further punished because they thought I was lying. And um, yeah, that's where, 
Um, yeah, where most of, and I mean, that decision uh, that their poor parenting in that respect, yeah, changed the course of my life. I was a very different person from, from then on. Mm. Sorry to hear about that, mate. And did, did you try and block that out at all? Or was it? Um, no, it's actually um, something I've uh, discovered over the years. It's like, you know, I've, um, you know, you, you, you trauma bond with other people. And I've met a lot of people who were like, you know, abused um, at all points in their life. And um, a lot of people have told me, like, especially when it comes to childhood sexual assault, they're like, oh, I'm not sure how bad the abuse was because I've, I've blocked a lot of it out. And I've had other people tell me that they're not actually sure whether they're abused or not. And I find that really confusing because I, I'm, I haven't blocked anything out at all. And not because I don't want to, because I like, like I, I don't really understand how people can do that because I remember everything and I remember everything really vividly. And sometimes I very much wish I couldn't, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't understand how um, people can block things out. It's probably, I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, I'm not convinced of whether that, that helps or not. Maybe, maybe it probably it does, but um, yeah, like, as I, like I said, I've written this memoir recently and I've given it to a couple of friends to proofread and they're all like, how can you remember things that happened to you? Like when you were four or five with this much detail, are you like extrapolating? I'm like, no, like I just, I've always assumed everyone's memory was, was this good. And it turns out and a lot of people can't remember their childhoods very well, mm-hmm. but I know I um, definitely haven't blocked it out um, in a, like in a memory sense. Um, what I did do is because, um, because my stepmother in particular didn't believe me that I'd been abused, I, I bottled it up. Yeah. And the reason I did that was because I, um, it's a little bit subconscious, but I, like, I, I'm aware the reason I did that was because I was so traumatized from not being believed. I didn't want to double down and risk not being believed again. So in order to protect myself, like, you know, sh- short-term Band-Aid solution, I didn't talk about it because I knew I, I wouldn't be able to handle it if somebody else didn't believe me. And yeah. so I... I didn't block it out, but I, I kept it to myself and I decided I needed to carry it, the trauma by myself because I, um, because you know, other people didn't believe me. And that's, that made my, um, my circumstances so much worse than it, than it had to be because yeah, I, um, you shouldn't carry anything like that, that big, it shouldn't be a secret and you, you shouldn't keep it to yourself. But I felt like I had to because for self-preservation because I, um, I was so worried about how my mental health might deteriorate if I doubled down and risk trying to confide in someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So true, mate. Um, do, do you think that uh, the abuse had anything to do with why you went to prison or your charges or anything like that or? Yeah, it had, um, it, to be honest, it had everything to do um, with what I went to prison for. So um, for everyone listening, I, when I was 28, 27 or 28, um, I was in a, again, I was in a relationship where I'd trauma bonded with someone who also had a, um, a lot of, um, you know, trauma and uh, um, yeah, bad things happened to her in her past. And a few months into the relationship, she confided to me that she had been raped once. And um, when, and uh, you know, she, when, when she told me that she was trying to, she was doing something that's healthy. She was trying to get it out. She was trying to talk about it and, uh, and open up to me and, and share something with me. She, she told me she'd never told anyone else before. So I was the first person she felt comfortable to t- share that with. 
Um, unfortunately for her, I was the wrong person to tell at the time um, because I had all that trauma from not being believed. When she confided that to me, um, she uh, wasn't her fault in, unintentionally. She completely re-traumatized me. It um, dragged up all the um, memories I'd been trying my best not to think about because you know, no one had believed me. And um, so because of that, I had a, um, a you know, disproportionate reaction. I mean, um, uh, I, uh, so the short story is I, um, I went to the house of the man that she told me raped her and I, um, I went there to assault him. But um, the very short version is that um, he wasn't um, home alone and I, um, but I was too angry to go home empty handed. So I waited till him and his friend left and then I set fire to his house. And so I was sentenced to two years in prison in November 2015 um, for um, destruction of property by fire, commonly known as arson. And and my non-parole period was 10 months. So I spent 10 months in prison for that. And um uh, so a lot of people, a lot of people frequently tell me like, oh, yeah, they should have given you a medal and stuff. But uh, the reality of the situation is that um, 10 months is a pretty lenient sentence for burning down an entire house. And the reason for that, well, there was a couple of reasons. And one of them was um, the judge, I, I had a forensic psych report and the magistrate rather um, accepted the opinion of the forensic psychologist that if I hadn't have been carrying all that trauma from being abused as a child, I wouldn't have felt the need to go out and do that, which is completely true. I, I don't want to externalize like and push all the blame everywhere else. I mean, I, I, I still made the decision at the end of the day, but um, mm. so I don't want to sound like I'm blaming society for what happened for the crime I committed. But the fact remains, if that hadn't, uh, if that abuse hadn't happened to me, I, I wouldn't have felt the need to do that on any level. So yeah, my crime is completely related to that childhood trauma. Yeah, I understand that. And I agree with other people that said that you deserve a medal. So, <laughs> Mate, um, uh, it's, a, it's a cool story you got, mate. And I understand that you're doing um, some good things now. You know, you've done a lot of personal development and things like that, you know. But um, I understand that you started that in prison and you started writing books and things like that. So what, what was that looking like for you in prison then transitioning out into the community? What are you doing now? Right. So, uh, yeah, I, um, I wanted to, I just actually finished an undergraduate degree before I went into prison, um, ironically, um, majoring in psychology, um, about two thirds of the way through that degree, I realized I didn't want a career in it, but, um, I'm a bit too stubborn to quit anything. So I finished and I, I wanted to, um, to go and on and do a, a master's in prison. And, um, yeah, I, I learned no, that that's how naive I was. I thought you could study and like <laughs> at that level in prison and, uh, yeah, turns out you can't. They um they the only courses the prison I was at ran were basic literacy and like short courses like first aid and stuff. So um, uh yeah, I was I, I had a bit of a freak out when I first went in because I was like, well, I, I can't study. Um, there's no therapy in here. Um, I was told I was too low risk of reoffending to be eligible for rehabilitation. Not that the rehabilitation they had was anything to speak of. You know, ten hour tick and flick course. Um, that's what I missed out on. Um, so I, um, started having a bit of a freak out cause I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go brain dead with 10 months with nothing constructive to do. So, um, and I was also kind of aware that like, um, I was going to be at a, um, uh, like, um, yeah, it's difficult as most people would assume it's a bit difficult to get a job with a criminal record. So I, 
I had uh, I had a lot a lot of time to think about what I was going to do and um, also how I was going to reintegrate back into society uh, with a decreased you know ability to obtain employment. So I um a few days in I started writing a novel, um, partially uh, to pass the time and partially because that's something that I actually always wanted to do but never made the time for. And I, I finished that after five months. Um, it's uh it was published at the end of 2019 i'll shamelessly plug it here it's called scarred by damien lanane published by 10th street press you can probably find the links to my on my website if jacob shares that later but um so that took up the first half of my sentence and then i spent the second half teaching myself to draw which i'd never done before and um turns out i was that was a skill i didn't know i had i was a bit of a natural at that and um actually earlier this year I illustrated the book. Um, this is ear hustle. So if you like prison, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, I, I assume you're like um, podcasts that have a bit to do with prison. And um, so if you haven't uh, listened to ear hustle, I really recommend that that they're um, they were the first podcast to be um, created entirely inside a prison. It's made at San Quentin in California, and um, yeah, they um, they've got a book that's coming out on the twelfth of October, and they actually hired me to illustrate that. They were looking for um, someone who did photorealism with pencil, and um, that's what I taught myself in prison. And uh, so that, yeah, it turns out I um I developed two skills that helped me find work in prison. One was writing, and then the other one was art because that um and those have overlapped a bit and like um indirectly caused some opportunity. Like I um. I was uh, writing for the um, Network 10 website, 10 Daily. I was writing like opinion pieces slash journalism for them, uh, mostly on the prison system um, until their website closed down um, uh, last year because of coronavirus. And uh, But I've just actually found, it, found a new website, um, a news website that uh, wants my writing. Um, so uh, yeah, that's uh, I've, I've had a few writing opportunities from that, and some a lot of art things on as well. Like I um, uh, had an art exhibition. Oh, it's, I suppose it's technically still on um, uh, up in here in Newcastle. Um, people can't visit it at the moment because we're on lockdown, but um, it was up for about a month, and um, they they told me they're just going to leave it up for for a while once we once the lockdown ends. But um, yeah, I've uh, definitely that? I sorry. Where is that for if anyone is around Newcastle? Yep, so that's at Walls End Public Library, or it will be once the lockdown lifts it. But um, it's also available online as well. They, they um, they had an online exhibition anyway, which was good. Uh, yeah, basically you could just see the art, and I recorded myself speaking about all the art pieces as well. And they they kind of did that a bit as a bit of an extra. But now I'm really glad they did because that's the only way people can see it right now. But um, yeah, I never thought I'd be a writer or an artist, and now I'm both. And uh, I, that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for prison. So like, I definitely don't see prison as a, as a bad point in my life, but um, yeah, my, um, my day job, I, uh, so like the, literally the week I got out of prison, I, um, I enrolled in the master's degree that I wanted to study in there, but couldn't. And um, I finished that mid last year and thankfully transitioned straight into a job. So that was in um, information studies specializing in records and archives so um i'm an archivist now that's my day job and um yeah i i graduated mid last year and transitioned um straight into a job in that field um kind of temporary contract which is still going um at the moment so uh yeah i actually um feel like um 
my life's improved like dramatically since getting out of prison. And unfortunately, um, a lot, a lot of people can't say that, but uh, it's definitely um, been my experience of um, uh, a lot of positive attitude and a, a, a lot of luck as well. You know, um, it's just gotten me where I am today. And uh, yeah, so I, I, people are like, sometimes when people find out I've been to prison, they're like, oh, wow, you, you, that must have been shredful. I'm like, well, no, I, well, prison itself was, um, was definitely uh, challenging, but um, yeah, I don't see it as a negative part of my life as well at all because I, I got so much out of it, and um, in more ways than one, it wasn't just the um, like the the developing the new skills in there. It was also um, once I got arrested, I realized I had a problem, and and that's when I started getting therapy, and I actually started talking about what had happened to me as a child for the first time since my stepmother didn't believe me. So, yeah. Yeah, congratulations, man. It's a very inspiring story. I haven't heard your full story, just sort of bits and pieces when we've done um, my podcast on on your podcast. So, yeah, it was good to hear all of that. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry to hear that you went through that stuff as a young bloke. And it's good that you're talking about it now, you know, because a lot of people um, don't talk about it and they can bottle it up um, like myself. But is there anything um, or any advice that you would like to tell any to survivors so that they could heal or start the healing? Yeah, well, I, I just, I definitely recommend, um, yeah, like, as you said, um, speaking about it, because, yeah, I, um, I, uh, after my stepmother didn't believe me, I decided I needed to, to carry all the trauma myself. And, um, and I actually, I was under the impression I was doing a fairly good job of that because, you know, I was, um, I mean, uh, you know, I, I was, I was studying, I was, my employment was a bit sketchy, but I was holding down jobs from time to time. And, you know, I you know, had, uh, uh, relationships and stuff that, um, and so, I mean, I, I, I considered myself a fairly well-rounded person, but like I had all this anger just underneath the service and all it took was, you know, um, somebody, you know, you know, one person telling me something that kind of triggered like a lifetime's worth of repression. And, um, but I, um, yeah, I hadn't talked to anyone about it for, for reasons I've explained. And um, yeah, like I wouldn't change my life because I'm really happy with how I am today as a person. But I mean, yeah, I, I definitely, um, I'd um, be interested to know how much different my life would be if I had to talk to someone sooner. And, and that doesn't necessarily have to be a psychologist. You just need to find someone who you can confide to. And because I mean, uh, yeah, a bad psychologist, in my experience, can be worse than no psychologist at all. You have to find the one that, that's that's right for you. So don't feel feel afraid to shop around. Like go and speak to a counselor or something. And if you if you don't get a good vibe off them, go and find a different one. You know. Um, but definitely, um, speaking about what what happened to you is uh, I can't begin to uh, I can't clarify exactly how important that is to to healing because yeah, I um. I was a very um, traumatized and angry person. And, and I mean, um, to an extent, you can only get over things so much, but uh, I um, I feel so much more like grounded and stable now um, post-therapy. Like I got to a point in therapy where my um, my therapist actually said to me, like um, my, my mental health care plan ran out for a year. And then he said to me, he's like, look, Damien, I, um, I don't think we need to renew your, your plan. Um, you, you're doing pretty well to just keep doing what you're doing really. And that was a huge turning point in my life. Cause I'd gone from someone who desperately needed therapy for, for, to someone who my therapist told to, to go home, you know, <laughs> go home, Damien, what are you doing here? You're, you're wasting your time. And, um, 
and it was like for some people like um I've been told my turnaround time's kind of atypical like it, it actually um once I opened up like all that kind of repressed anger it didn't take me very long um to to completely you know um, recover uh, unfortunately some people's recovery period is a lot longer but um it, you definitely have you just have to start somewhere and so I'd say um you know you start small if it's nerve-wracking find someone who you think might um be able to uh just a regular person who who can who can uh, share with and uh yeah just be heard but uh yeah I, I definitely recommend um yeah trying to find um get in touch with your doctor and try and get on a mental health care plan because it's it's so important to um to understand that you don't need to carry all that trauma yourself and it's not something that one person should carry you uh, and 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 for me like even just being on this podcast today it's still part of the healing process you know I bottled up what happened to me for 20 years to the point where it was this deep dark secret and I was I don't think ashamed is the right word but like I am um, I didn't I didn't want to like uh the, you know kind of spread what happened to me around and I, I just felt the need to yeah keep it all to my, myself and it just became this like like unintentional like you know, like burden like this thing of shame that um and uh yeah the, the now that I talk yeah you know, talk about it all the time or not all the time but like you know I, I'm I'm you know don't bring it up for the sake of bringing it up but when I when people ask me about it um because I've talked about it so much it's not difficult to say uh, to to tell what happened like um you know uh seven years ago when I was like just even telling my girlfriend what had happened to me like at that um at that point I'd only maybe told four or five people that I'd been abused as a child and it was like something I had to take a a few deep breaths first and like kind of choose my like words carefully just to be less painful for me whereas now I can I can just tell people I'm like yes this happened and you know it's it's a shame that happened but I mean I'm not angry or like or bitter about it anymore and it's it's not this like source of like shame uh or anything that's difficult because um yeah once 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 it's out there um it just feels like there's this huge weight off your shoulders so yeah that's my uh, my long explanation for that I guess mm. Oh, thanks for sharing today, mate. I appreciate that. And um, yeah, I think it's really important to get out there, get get the ball rolling, start talking about it. Uh, it's really important. But yeah, mate, I'd just like to thank you for coming on today. And if uh, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Have you got social media? Um, if you could yeah, drop your website again, that'd be much appreciated. It will be um, in the podcast notes. So you should be able to access all of this. But um, yeah, if not, Dame, I'll drop some drop your sandals now yeah so um basically main point is just the website so damianlanane.com um i assume my name's in the title of the podcast but damian with an e l-i-n-n-a-n-e.com and um main socials probably instagram where it's just at damianlanane but uh those would be the if you go to my website you can see all the things i'm doing with like um writing i'm also the editor of a prison magazine and and the host of the podcast i i i always have a few things uh going on at once but uh and uh yeah you can find out updates and all about the the writing and, and artwork and stuff from from there really yeah all right mate well thanks for your time no it's been it's been great thanks for having me on all right see you mate see you later I would like to thank everyone who is following Survivor Stories for being a part of our community. If you would like to follow our journey on social media, we are on Facebook and Instagram at About Time for Justice, which is spelled about 
A-B-O-U-T, time, T-I-M-E, for, F-O-R, justice, J-U-S-T-I-C-E, there is no spaces, that is all one word. We also have Twitter, but unfortunately we could not get the same name. Our handle is about time 4 ju one We also have a website, abouttimeforjustice.com. We also encourage all of our listeners to jump on to our closed-off Facebook prison support group, which is called Beating the System. You can find all the links in this podcast in the details section below. We would love to hear your story. If you would like to be a guest on our show, please hit me up. If you found any value from this podcast, I would ask you to pay a small fee. And of course, that is only if you found value. We do not charge or run any ads at the moment. I ask if you could please subscribe, leave a review and to tell one friend about our show.